good reporter-editor relationship can make or break your investigative project. Reporters have to be able to make a compelling case for spending time digging into documents or data, especially if that work will divert them from daily coverage. Editors have to trust that their reporters will be able to deliver the story they pitched. USA Today reporter Allison Young has been able to sell her editor, John Hillkirk, on some pretty extreme and not to mention expensive projects. Here's Hillkirk and Young. So, and let them do some crazy things. I mean, Allison came to me and us a couple years ago and said, I want to look at these poison uh, left by lead factories all over the United States and I want to go out and test a thousand spots with an XRF machine. Which cost $41,000 if we we, bought it. We rented it. We rented it. It was not cheap. Um, And then we'll come back and we'll build outside of our CMS an interactive that will blow you away being able to look at every soil sample in every city and every block. This week's theme is On the Same Team, the reporter-editor relationship. I'm George Varney, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast, IRE with you on your beat for over 30 years. On this episode, we'll hear from two teams of reporters and editors as they take us through the award-winning investigative projects they tackle together. From the Tampa Bay Times, reporter Alexandra Zayas and editor Chris Davis kept each other on track to find the perfect lead for their investigation into child abuse at religious boarding schools in Florida. The first one was a scene of a girl being beat um, by a rod uh, by the preacher's wife. So I felt very drawn to the stories of, of young women in uh, in these places. Chris tended to be a little bit more into um, the physical injuries that were being experienced by boys in military homes. So we were, we were kind of thinking together with both those, those ideas. USA Today reporter Allison Young and her editor John Hilkirk We'll discuss another project they tackled together. This one was on finding the ex-felons behind tainted supplement companies. One of the products we wrote quite a bit about had an undisclosed methamphetamine-like compound that has never before been tested in people. And this is a product that was sold on the shelves at GNC stores by Walmart and mainstream retailers. After that, three journalists will share tips for successfully pitching investigative stories to their editors and managing their project time. All of this audio comes from the Managing Your Manager pop-up session at the 2014 IRE conference. The discussion was moderated by the News Tribune's Kate Martin, who shared her technique for staying a step ahead of her boss each morning. And when he came around and kind of poked his head over my cubicle and said, what are you doing today, I would have at least a good answer. Martin Stiff and more coming up on the IRE Radio Podcast. Editors play an important role in the reporting process, providing feedback and polishing copy. They can also guide journalists entering a new field of reporting. Alexandra Zaya's first investigative piece for the Tampa Bay Times was also her first time working with the paper's investigative editor, Chris Davis. Together, they developed In God's Name, a three-part series that ran in late 2012. The multimedia package examined child abuse in religious boarding schools. It uh, began with the idea that we discovered there was a religious exemption created in Florida in 1984 that allowed any group home uh, that housed children to avoid state oversight and state licensing and instead uh, become accredited by a private nonprofit group called the Florida Association of Christian Child Caring Agencies. The group was allowed to police themselves and their policies allowed for widespread misconduct. Unlike the state, the homes used corporal punishment, and Zayas found cases of physical, sexual, and psychological abuse. It was important for Davis to understand Zayas' strengths and weaknesses as a reporter when they began to work on the project together. 
and the fact that Alex was coming to this kind of cold and had, had been an a excellent narrative writer um, but hadn't really done uh, sort of nitty-gritty data-driven kinds of investigations was, was key to know. I knew to sort of uh, hold her hand in certain places that, uh, that maybe I wouldn't have expected if I didn't understand that this was her first big investigative project. And since this was their first time working together, Davis was upfront about his style as an editor. He let Zayas know that he'd be asking for a lot of rewrites. It's important for editors and reporters to develop an open line of communication. You're working together as a team, not individuals, Davis said. He typed out a memo called The Heart of Investigative Stories to help Zayas focus on key pieces of the investigative process. It's all about, um, you know, taking it from the what to the why. And so he, this is, uh, at this point in the, uh, from the very beginning, he started uh, trying to shift me into thinking about um, findings and looking for systematic failures. So that was something that he had communicated from the very beginning. This guide helps Zayas craft her lead. Together, they worked through several ideas for how to begin the piece. The first one is, um, you know, I'd come upon this very bizarre fundamentalist home for girls. Uh, the girls were not allowed to wear pants. They had to wear skirts. They could not even um, speak most of the day. And they had this, uh, this uh, form of punishment in which the girls had to stand against the wall for hours on end uh, to the point that they would urinate on themselves because it, it was so much. So um, this is the, the first one was a scene of a girl being beat um, by a rod uh, by the preacher's wife. So I felt very drawn to the stories of, of young women in, uh, in these places. Chris tended to be a little bit more into um, the physical injuries that were being experienced by boys in military homes. So we were, we were kind of thinking together with both those those ideas. And then uh, second lead was just before we had gotten any really good anecdotes, we were just kind of, you know, here's the general kind of theme of the interviews we're, uh, of the interviews we're getting. We were talking about this earlier. Uh, we were reading these sample leads and neither one of us were really happy with them. And I think that uh, drove us uh, to continue or drove Alex to continue reporting because we wanted to find that lead that was perfect. Davis knew Zayas was a strong writer and reporter, and they pushed each other not to settle for anything less than the perfect lead. It would take more than half a year to locate Samson Lehman. His story would go on to open their series. Samson uh, being shaved bald and running around in a jumpsuit, and finally, you know, he's collapsed on the floor. Um, he's lost control of his bowels, um, and he's he's slumped against a wall, cold and immobile. And he recalls the man who recited scripture, calling him a wimp. And he thought, maybe if I die here, someone will shut this place down, not in Florida. So the reason we got we were able to get this lead is because Chris was able to push me, um, you know, past some of the low hanging fruit to get it. USA Today reporter Allison Young and editor John Hillkirk worked purposefully to keep the lines of communication open as Young's investigation into tainted supplements and the ex-cons who made them unfolded into the multi-platform series Supplement Shell Game. The idea goes back many years ago when I just wrote a simple story about an FDA press release about a, a sexual enhancement supplement like so many of them was spiked with an analog of Viagra. Um, and these things come out all the time, and it listed um, a, a name of a company, as the FDA often does, and a city that it was in, which was near uh, the newspaper where I was reporting at the time. And so I was going to write a quick turn story, but I couldn't find the company. I looked in corporation records, you know, and did a lot of tracking down and kind of found some things through, um, through Nexus that indicated 
that if I could confirm it, which I couldn't at that time, the guy who ran the company may have a background in selling cocaine. Young didn't press the issue at first, but she came back to the story in 2012. We did this investigation, uh, which examined more than 100 companies that had been um, tested by, had products tested by the FDA and were found to contain hidden pharmaceuticals. These are anything from, you know, a really strong tranquilizer called Thorazine um, to, um, to one of the products we wrote quite a bit about had an undisclosed methamphetamine-like compound that has never before te been tested in people, and this is a product that was sold on the shelves at GNC stores by Walmart and mainstream retailers. One of the drugs she mentioned, Thorazine, is the antipsychotic which would replace the lobotomies of the 1950s that Wall Street Journal reporter Michael Phillips talks about on our last podcast episode. Further reporting uncovered what Young had suspected. Some of the people behind the supplement companies had criminal records and other histories that cast doubt on their company's validity. Knowing that stories on victims of tainted supplements had been done many times before, Young worked with her editor to find a new angle. And, and one of, I think, our key tips is in the early discussions between reporters and editors is finding that really sharp focus. In this particular case, the focus is going to be on the business end of the dubious pills and powders. Hillkirk leads an experienced staff, and he knew his role as editor was to help them stay ambitious. I'm in a great position because I have four great reporters who are seasoned veterans at investigative work, so the best thing I can do is help them and get the hell out of the way. Part of that was allowing Young to travel if she thought it would be best for the story. She said things like, I want to go to Mexico with a video camera and look for this supplement maker that's spiking, uh, spiking supplements and bring back the story of who it is and who's doing it. Okay, we'll try that. Throughout the reporting process, both editor and reporter made sure they narrowed their focus. This was a story about the people behind the companies, and communication between editor and reporter was key to preventing the story from straying down a path that had been pursued by scores of other reporters before. The final product was a strong lead that set the tone for the series. For a man heading to prison for selling dangerous weight loss pills, it seemed a curious time for supplement designer Matt Cahill to start his next company and put a powerful and illegal designer steroid product on the market. Cahill was facing federal charges for mixing a highly toxic pesticide with baking powder, stuffing it in capsules and selling it over the internet for weight loss. The new steroid to Cahill's knowledge, had never before been tested on humans until he and a few of his friends tried it themselves a few weeks before putting it on sale in 2004. Feel like you're constantly butting heads with your editor? You're not alone. For the first time this year, we let attendees pitch and vote on ideas for IRE conference pop-up sessions. And, not surprisingly, one of the top vote-getters was a panel called Managing Your Manager. Led by the News Tribune's Kate Martin, a group of reporters and editors got together to discuss tips for developing a good working relationship with your boss. Martin currently works at a paper in Tacoma, Washington, but before that, she had a job at a much smaller publication. During the panel, she explained how she managed to do bigger projects she wanted while balancing the need for daily stories. When I was at my old paper, the Skagit Valley Herald, there were five reporters and there were seven days in the week. And in case you didn't know, that meant that we had to have, you know, three stories on the front page every seven days, you know. And that's 21 stories for five reporters just on the front page. So that meant we had to do a lot of work. And one of the things that I like to do uh, to make sure that I would get, the, get to do the stories that I wanted to do is to arrive at work before my boss. 
because if I arrive at work before my boss, that means that I get to set the agenda for the day. And when he came around and kind of poked his head over my cubicle and said, what are you doing today? I would have at least a good answer. Because I think sometimes when a boss has to tell you a story, they might not be crazy about it either, but they, they you know, you have to feed the beast. So um, I think that if you could also try and write, if you're at a small paper where you have to write a lot, if you could write at least one story a day and you get that story done early in the day as soon as possible, and that makes your boss happy, then you'll have the rest of that day to work on the project story that you want to do. Hopefully. Hopefully. But it's not just about finding time. You also have to make smart decisions about how you spend your time. Newsday's Matthew Doig explains. You can't spend six months on something, or even if you're a daily reporter, you know, you, you may get your editor to cut you loose for a couple weeks. Uh, you can't come back with nothing at the end of that. So when you're picking an idea to go after, um, you know, we do like a little cost-benefit analysis. Like, you know, if, if this thing pans out exactly how we think, all right, we're, we're winning a Pulitzer and, you know, everybody's going to throw a parade for us. Uh, but it's never going to be that good. So even if everything else falls apart, uh, at, at the very least, we've got a page one story that, you know, we can just knock out and move on and, and fight another day. But uh, you, you don't get that many chances to completely shit the bed before your editor's just like, eh, you're not you know, you're not really good at this and we're going to let somebody else have that time. So pick smart. When you're ready to make the case to your editor, Doig suggests finding a similar story from a different market to illustrate how the piece can be done. You've got to like train your bosses and you have to anticipate their needs. So if they, if you know they're going to pepper you with like, you know, a bunch of questions like, ah, it doesn't sound like you can find a victim. Like, Say, no, 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 I've already identified who the victim would be. And, you know, um, I mean, the, a lot of things we'll do, and I'm sure this translates to broadcast uh, also, is, uh, you know, if we're going to go after something big, we'll find like a comp story. Um, so, you know, it, every story's been done or similar stories have been done. So if you're going to do something on like nursing homes or something, um, you know, find a, uh, a great nursing home project that's been done in another market and tell your bosses, like, look at what this station did on nursing homes, and we could, you know, the same shit's going on here. We can do it. I've already identified the documents that they used. Um, and so, so then if they see, okay, that other TV station did it, what, you know, there's no reason we, why we can't either. It's, it's harder for them to poke holes in something that's already been successful. Additional background research can further bulletproof a pitch. Nancy Wilson is an independent journalist with over 20 years of experience in broadcast and investigative reporting. When she pitches an idea, she tries to keep the final product open to change in case a different or better story comes out of the reporting. Uh, what I've found through, um, through default is, is telling or pitching the story before I know what the story is, is, uh, is the key. Because I get excited about what I find or about the idea, especially after I've come to IRE. I come back and go, hey, you know, I wonder how many... Uh, criminals we have that are home inspectors or that are, uh, you know, they're people that are in your house. We can, we can do that. We can take this database and merge it with this one and we can find out. Well, I've learned that when I do that, it's going on the calendar of these terrible felons are in your house when I haven't even done the work on it yet. You know, it's like, I'm just excited. And because I worked alone, what I would do is I would say, okay, here are 20 ideas. So I'm not totally scattered and I know where to focus it, tell me which one of these ideas you would prefer. And they'd say, oh, this one's good, this one. 
Well, then I do the data work, and it'd be like, yeah, it didn't, it did, you know, there were three people, but they weren't felons, and it was a crime they did 27 years ago, and they, so it's not a story. But before I can even get to that part, promotions is there, and they go, do you want to see the promo? And it's, dun, 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 and it's like, oh, crap. And then they go, what? We're disappointed in the story. It's like, okay, now I'm learning a lesson here. Don't give it away, is to do the research first know if it's there. And because I'm a data type reporter, I'm looking at the data first and I, and the data reveals the story and you go, wow, this can be a really good story, but I've not yet found the people involved. And they think that's real easy to go do. And sometimes it is not easy to do and it takes a long time. And I don't even know if they're going to talk on the, on the good examples. So by getting burned and burning myself time and time again, I've learned, check it out first have no, I mean, not that I have to have it shot, but know what B-roll am I going to shoot, what interviews, maybe do some preliminary calls, all that, before I pitch the story. Because nothing is worse than for you to pick a story by saying, I wonder what, and then ends up, it's in the promos, and it's not even the story that you found. Or you pitch the story, and you found a different story that this didn't turn out, but this one did. But they say, oh, that's not what you pitched, and you've wasted all that time on it. So it's easier to, to go in once you know the story than to be fishing with them along. I thought they'd want to be informed on what I was working on, and I found that that burns me in every case. To avoid getting burned by your manager's expectations, Wilson recommends explaining the research process and timeline to your editor. If you don't, you could be setting an unrealistic precedent for future projects. What I keep hearing here is that excitement we get, and I'm this is so hard to do because when I'm filing and I get documents and they're looking good, I want to, I get so excited I want to bounce it off someone. The wrong person is the news director who's going to be going on because he sees that excitement, or she, and they transport it. That's what's going to happen. Then when we read the documents, it's not quite as sexy as what we thought. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's not. But when it's not, then it comes back to, well, then we're going to switch you over to this other story that we have no interest in or whatever. But, um, but having realistic expectations on the front end to say, okay, I just got these documents today. There are 3,000 documents on here, so I'm going to be spending you know, this weekend looking at this. And then I get the rebound. Oh, so you'll have a script for us on Monday? Like, no, there's 3,000 pages, and I have to analyze it and then figure out who I would, you know, it's that kind of expectations that sometimes they have. And being able to say, stop, no, that's not what's going to happen. Here's what I'll need to do. These are all the steps. But the good thing is, and what I would do sometimes is I would do all the work. So then when it came time to do the story, it was a quick turn story because I'd spent couple months on my own time doing the research or whatever is to make sure and I wouldn't do this I would make sure I would I would now make sure to tell them here's what I did on that story it took me this long to do this it took me this long to do this so they don't think that every story should be that quick on doing it because I've set up this expectation that I can turn these great stories out you know in two days when it didn't take two days it took two months but I just didn't tell them that but to keep that level of communication afterwards so it keeps the expectations on you can't read 3,000 pages of documents in, in one day and then have a script the next day. Thank you for listening. You can find past episodes on both our SoundCloud page and on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Did an IRE training event, conference, or workshop help you complete a story? 
We want to hear about it. Your testimonial will be part of our new Impact Tracker, an interactive map that will be embedded on our website. Take the survey at ire.org slash impact survey. As always, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, IRE, or anything else, our inbox is always open. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast, and she can be reached at web at ire.org, or you can reach me at George V, that's G-E-O-R-G-E-V, at ire.org. That's it for this episode. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm George Varney.